Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and this week my guest is Adam Shupak. Adam is not only my colleague, uh, but he is also a senior writer with GolfWeek, GolfWeek.com, as well as USA Today Sports. And he is in Napa, California right now, home of the Safeway Open, which is the first event on the PGA Tours 2020-2021 season. Happy new season. In the podcast you're about to hear, he and I discuss Dustin Johnson's win of the Tour Championship and the FedEx Cup. We also talk about the things that we like and we think can be improved about the FedEx Cup season. And we talk very briefly about the Safeway Open, uh, which is going to feature this week Brent Snedeker, Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, and Jordan Spieth. And then we preview the U.S. Open, which is going to be taking place a week from now at Wingfoot Golf Club in Mamaroneck, New York. We talk about Bryson DeChambeau and how his game translates to the U.S. Open, about Brooks Kepka and Rory McIlroy, guys we like, guys we don't necessarily like, to be playing next week at the foot. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Back Book, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the take-anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body primed for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. So now I'm very fortunate to be joined by Adam Shupak from GolfWeek, GolfWeek.com, and USA Today Sports. And Adam texted earlier and said that when he looked at his uh, mobile phone and checked out the weather app, he said that the forecast, or it told him the forecast was for smoke. And that is because Adam is in Napa, California right now. And unfortunately, there's fires all over the golden state of California. Adam, how are you doing? And what's the scene out there in Napa? Yeah, it's uh, it is a little hazy out there, but uh, this is just such a beautiful place in the world to be. I can't think of too many others I prefer. Uh, a little little warm when I when I arrived yesterday. Uh, got in some golf. It was 107 degrees, but uh, you know it, it still felt better than playing in the uh, muggy, humid weather of Florida that I'm used to. So I'm 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 surviving. So is your tongue purple, or will it stay? Sort of, will it get to be a golden sort of a hue? As the week goes on, personally for me, it would uh, it would be purple. I would be working my way south uh, along the main road from, say, you know, Calistoga down into Napa. But uh, it's a pretty nice gig if you can get it this week, isn't it? It's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, I might have to stop by, you know, Nickel and Nickel or Silver <laughs> Oak, maybe Camus. Who knows? Uh, Camus, if uh, if if somebody else is buying, I'm more than happy to be drinking. It's a it's a great event out there. Unbelievable. We are already now into the 2020 2021 season. Doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, but Dustin Johnson obviously is the winner yesterday of the Tour Championship in the FedEx Cup. 15 million bucks, dominant performance. But he did also start with a little bit of a lead. What were your thoughts as you were watching Dustin Johnson finish up and win uh, win the 2020 FedEx Cup yesterday? 
Well, I was I was really impressed. I thought Thursday was some of the best golf I've seen all year. Or sorry, mm. Friday. There wasn't a Thursday. <laughs> um, the first round. First round. Uh, when 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 DJ and John Rahm were one and two and, and paired together and, and Rahm was making birdie after birdie and DJ just followed our answer yeah. by put by birdie in every hole, it seemed at, right after he did it. it. That was some great stuff. And then and then they, you know, the second day they were both miserable and uh, <laughs> neither of them could hit a fairway. And it was very impressive how he was able, you know, DJ able to figure out what was wrong with his driver and and hit 11 of 14, I believe it was in the third round. And, and then yesterday, uh, you know, b- continue to build that lead and, and do what he needed to do to win. And, and I think, you know, it's a lot of pressure to play with a big lead. Sometimes we've seen, you know, everyone from Greg Norman at the masters on down, a lot of guys struggle when they have that big lead. And uh, I thought, you know, just a very impressive performance with some guys, Justin Thomas and, and, Xander trying to put a little pressure on him, but he did a pretty good job of, of uh, just, you know, closing the deal. And, and I got to hand it to, to DJ, you know, sometimes he hasn't always been the best at that. And this was pretty smooth performance. Yeah. You know what we've seen over the last month or so, probably the, the best steady golf from Dustin Johnson we've seen in a long time. We've seen fits and spurts where he just looks unbeatable. Uh, the combination when he's really got it going of tremendous you know, length off the tee, that that pretty much is there all the time. He's one of the elite drivers of his generation. He is right up there, I think, with Rory McIlroy. And depending on, you know, what the day is, maybe you, you put in um, one other person here or there. But but those are the two that immediately jump to my mind when I, when I think about elite driving. His iron play is tremendous. It's been well documented how over the last four, five, six years, he's really focused in on his wedge play to take advantage of all that other stuff. And the putting has really been extremely solid, making a lot of putts. Obviously, the big putt before Rom beats him in the playoff at the BMW, um, but he made a lot of putts, certainly down the stretch and and over the course of the weekend, and then as well as some really good par-saving putts Monday uh, to keep his round going at East Lake. When when he's got it flowing, it looks great. And this is, you know, so we've seen this for a week or two, it's not been a month, you know. Do you think that sort of this is maybe the the beginning of the next level DJ that we're going to sort of see where there's this steadiness to his game and this is sort of what he's going to bring generally week in and week out or is that almost too much to ask for? Because we've we've seen this a little bit here and there from Rory McIlroy. We saw it from Kepka. Um it was, you know, just over a year ago that we thought that we were that it was going to be Brooks's world and we were just going to live in it. What what do you think about DJ's ability to maintain something close to this level. Yeah. You know, he, he, he had a really great run uh, previously. And uh, I think, you know, I think when he injured himself and, and had to have, have that surgery that he just hadn't really seemed the same for a while. Mm-hmm. We qu- kept questioning almost like with Brooks Kepka, it just didn't seem like he was right. And I think, uh, I think he's finally healthy and a hundred percent again, and able to put the time in and practice and um, almost, almost like Tiger where when, when he's a guy, when he's able to put, put the time in and work on his game, he, he's, you see a difference in his performance. And uh, yeah, I think, I think this could be the start of a run, although, you know, it wasn't that long ago. He was shooting 80, 80, 80 and, yeah. and uh, WD and out of, out of the uh, tournament in Minnesota. So um, yeah. I, I think though that this is, I, I really think he's going to be a tough guy to beat. Uh, he's, he's 
he's serious contender for wing foot the way he's driving the ball playing right now. Well, we'll get into wing foot here in just a second, but just to, to sort of finish up, do you know a golf, uh, any golfer that you've seen who has a better demeanor for the sport than Dustin Johnson has for golf? Everything, it seems, both good and bad, falls off of his back. Hey, I mean, I, I think that when he made that putt on Rom, it might have been the first time I think I've ever seen him give a fist pump. And when he wins the U.S. Open at Oakmont, there's not this like big yell out like we saw at Tiger when he wins the Masters in 19. There, there isn't the big you know fist thump that that Rory gave after he won the FedEx Cup, uh, you know, a year ago. You just don't get that from Dustin Johnson. Dude, which don't you think... want to see his his? Go ahead. Don't you want to see his whoop numbers? Don't I, you want to see his whoop numbers? It would just be the flat line. He's a corpse. I mean, basically, Dustin Johnson's <laughs> corpse. Beats everybody <laughs> all over the place because yeah, his his numbers must be just. I, I don't know when he's not sleeping. The the guy is out there. It's but but have you ever seen? Do, can you think of a player who's who's just general demeanor is better for the sport long term than Dustin Johnson? What do you mean by that? Well, I guess like but the thing to me is there have been times when you look at almost any player. Phil Mickelson has given this to us. Rory certainly has given it to us. I think Tiger at some points, not many, but some, you can just see in their body language, you can just see the way that they're carrying themselves that all of a sudden, you know, they it's just not their day. It's not their tournament. Dustin Johnson has a shortness of his answers, um, both good and bad. When things are going great, hey, DJ, you just shot 60 today. Yeah, I made a lot of putts. Okay, great. Okay, thanks. We you know, got a lot of mileage out of that quote. Um, you know, d d doesn't have it. Shoots 80-80. Basically just goes away, gets back to practicing. Never high, never low. Um, has had some real ridiculous reasons for losing in major championships. Um, you know, wh wh where do you want to start? Whistling straights. Um, we, we, we saw him three-putt. Uh, at Chambers Bay to to lose a U.S. Open. We saw him blow one right and go out of bounds at Royal St. George on 13 to to knock himself out um, You know of a chance to win a Claret Jug. And yet, it doesn't seem long-term to build him. Like, the scar tissue doesn't seem to build up like I think we would expect on, on so many other players. Yeah, I hear what you mean. I, I, there is definitely a flatliner club that, you know, Jason Duffner... Chris Kirk. There's some other guys that I'd put also in that category. Even, I mean, Kepka is pretty, yes. yep. pretty much a flatliner and he'd, he'd be in that kind of category. But yeah, what, what DJ has gone through is, is unique and, and just, he's piled up a lot of seconds. I got I got to think that even though he says it doesn't bother, bother him, you know, and stuff, you know, he did not talk to the media after finishing second at the PGA championship uh, at Harding park. Mm -hmm. I, I've seen, you know, he didn't really, he didn't talk to the media after the, the U S open, uh, at, at, uh, chambers Bay. So I think these things do bother, you know, he may just get in the car and ride away and, and yep. he, a few days later, he's okay with it, but he knows that he's got a reputation for not closing and, and, you know, Kepka called him out for it in the press conference on Saturday. I think he's got a lot to prove at these next two majors. I, I, have, I thought his game, was really tailor made to win at the at uh, at, the, at Augusta. Um, you know, he does play more of a fade than a draw. But I, I've listened to to um, Brandel Chambly say that he doesn't think it, his game's really suited for for the Masters. But I still think that uh, that Dustin Johnson could be fitted for a green jacket before too long. Oh, I, I I think it's very 
I, I think it's entirely in the realm of possibilities. And if he can just keep it together anywhere at this level, the fact that we're going to have a Masters in a couple months, I mean, is is just great news for him. Um, last thing on the Tour Championship. Do you like the staggered start system? Obviously, the the week, you know, you get Dustin Johnson starting at 10 under, Rom at 8 under, and, and so on. Do you like that system? It, it sure seems like it's as contorted and sort of contrived as it is at the start, we get great golf and we get good championships and we get good leaderboards. And that's really what we're looking for, right? Yeah. I mean, it does still feel a bit more, it's still contrived. I think it's better than having the situations with the, the, I don't, I don't miss the whiteboard and, and all the percentage points. And, and I like that. It's just, it's a little more easier for the regular fan to follow, but Personally, I, I still think that there's a better way to do it, that they still that I, I just think it'll be changing again. And I hope that someday we could get towards a situation where we have a match play or something where like that last day is almost, you know, maybe it's only four guys are playing. Yeah, but it's I like that, that, that last day and all or some all or nothing instead of um, a huge, you know, the way it is now. Yeah, I, and I've heard, you know, sort of different versions of what you're talking about, where if you start with 30 guys. You know, after two rounds, you cut it to sixteen, and and do some kind of tweaks so that eventually you end up with, you know, just a couple groups, and and that's sort of the ultimate playoff. And there's a lot of different ways that you can play that. Um, I just look at it; it's I think they've made it much simpler for the for the average casual fan to understand. And clearly, the PGA Tour did not like it. For example, when Justin Rose wins the ultimate prize you know, for the PGA Tour, the FedEx Cup, and the whole, you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And there's Tiger Woods stealing the glory of Justin Rose's amazing accomplishment, a tremendous accomplishment, um, and overshadowing the FedEx Cup. That could not have gone over well. Um, I don't know. I disagree. I think that was... I think the tour loved that Tiger. Well, back okay. In the winner circle. Can you imagine the other, the reverse? If Tiger, well, didn't right, win okay. It, that didn't count as his win. Yeah, I mean, but at the same 80, time, I mean, I mean was, it's, if we're if we bring Tiger Woods into it, then obviously all bets are lost. But but the idea that you get a winner of the Tour Championship standing beside a winner of the FedEx Cup, um, I can't believe that 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 it, it just it's it doesn't feel like playoff. And this is a long-standing problem that I've had with the entire system to call it a playoff, which is inaccurate. It has always been a point race or a point chase, however you want to sort of look at it. And in the acquisition of points is much more what we're doing rather than head-to-head matchups and eliminations based on head-to-head performances. We've got the NBA playoffs going right now. One team advances, one team goes on, we've got brackets. Um, you get the NFL playoffs, run basically the same way. Um, the NCAA tournament, when we have it, hopefully we do this you know, next March, you, you get a playoff, essentially, brackets. This is a point race. You're accumulating points based on performance, and if you perform on an average well enough, remember Justin Rose wasn't racking up wins on his way to the FedEx Cup you know, win. He just was was never, it seems like, out of the top five, and the guy was just living up there, so he accumulated the most points. Um, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see. I, I think you're right, though. I think that they continue to play around with it, and it'll be very interesting to, to see how it could go. Lo and behold, though, as I said at the top, welcome to 2020, 2021, and um, Jordan Spieth, Brent Snedeker, Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia are out there in Napa along with you playing Safeway. Um what effects, if anything, you're you're out there? Do you think the fires and the and the the environmental situation that's going on in California does that have anything to do with or or affect play out there? 
I don't think so. I think uh, I think things are have become a little better here in Napa, at least in the in the in the area, and um, I, I don't think it's going to be a an issue for the tournament at all. Okay, I really um, don't think so. What do you think are the guys? I mean, we I just sort of mentioned four. What is Phil Mickelson looking to get out of this week? He plays um, one playoff event, the Northern Trust, misses the cut gets snipped out from the PGA Tours FedEx Cup playoffs, does not play the BMW Championship, but heads down to Arkansas and wins in his very first start on the PGA Tour Champions Tour, um, which he shoots low scores, makes a lot of birdies, gets a W. What's Mickelson looking to get out of this week, do you think? Well, Phil loves to play play his way in and, and develop. he wants to develop some confidence, just like he did before the PGA Championship. He finished runner-up at the WGC St. Jude and and felt good about his game heading into a major. I think I, I, I'm interested to hear whether he thinks this, this particular venue is a good fit because he had talked about originally he didn't like the idea of playing the Valero Texas Open ahead of the Masters and, and some of the other majors, the way things were originally lining up. It didn't really yep. make sense to him and, uh, you know, I'm not sure how well this one is going to, you know, fits is the it fits like wing, what wing foot's going to be set up. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I think he's looking for confidence. I think some of those other guys, uh, Shane Lowry talked about how he didn't want to have three weeks off heading into a major championship. Um, I think J- Jordan Spieth, who also was out of the playoffs early, probably feels the same way. He's a guy who has at times played his way into a major, including when he, you know, won at John Deere and then flew over and played in in the Open Championship. So there there are certain guys that like to to play and feel like they've just played in a tournament. And some of these guys, because of missing the playoffs altogether, like Sergio mm-hmm. or or not making it to even the BMW, wanted to wanted to play their way in. Even though for some of them, it seems like a long way to go from the West Coast to the East Coast. You know, Shane Lowry was like, hey, I'm in the U.S. I might as well I might as well go play. He's he actually you'll be interested in this. Uh, he, he brought six drivers to the to his practice round yesterday, huh. whittled it down to one. So he's going to try a new Strixon driver this week and a new set of irons. He thought, you know, having some fresh grooves uh, might help get a little more spin on the ball and stop the ball on the greens mm-hmm. at uh at, at Wingfoot, and yeah. so for him to, to, to test it out under the gun, some new equipment. I think there are probably some other guys you've already noted um, on our, on Golf Week website how there's some some new Titleist drivers that are floating around yep. that are now on the you know use the use list and so uh, conforming list. And so I think some guys are trying equipment as it is technically the beginning of a new year. Although most of them were like, it doesn't feel like a new season yeah. at all. It's only been two days, and they're not you know. It's not like most of them sat down and made their uh, their goals for the new year because it doesn't really f- it feels like it was just last week and it was. The Sneak is a true crime podcast from For the Win in USA Today, and this season is on a surfing champion whose life took a violent, tragic turn. Within thirty seconds, they're both dead. The Sneak murders at Whiskey Creek is out July 29th wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, and it, it, it was. And for a lot of people who who were out there, what Adam's talking about is that uh, 
as new gear comes out or as guys get ready before a major championship, a lot of times they want to put in fresh grooves, for example, on their wedges. Very common. And I can tell you, uh, having been at Wingfoot a couple weeks ago, you will definitely want all the spin you can get to be able to handle the greens and to be able to, to control the ball around there. But they almost never put a brand new club straight away into the bag. They almost want to, quote unquote, like break it in, which really is much more in their mind. They want to know that like this wedge is going to perform just like the old one that's in my bag. I, I'm going to get everything I expect out of it uh, in the bunkers and in rough and all that kind of stuff. It's just that the grooves are obviously going to be new and sharper. And so I'm going to get a little bit more bite on the ball. And let me sort of see what that's going to be like. Because they usually go through, guys usually replace a sand wedge or a lob wedge, whatever one they play out of the bunkers. That usually is about every four to six weeks because they practice so much um, and their hands are so sensitive. They're able to detect the differences in the amount of spin and bite and control they're going to get as the grooves start to wear. Most people at the recreational level, uh, under normal circumstances, if you play once or twice a week, a sand wedge or a lob wedge will probably last you uh, anywhere from 18 months to 24 months. Uh, after about two years, you're going to start to notice some pretty appreciable difference. It's really the number of rounds that you play. Um, is there a shuttle or are you aware of, of, of anything that's set up for guys? Are they going to try and do the tee times on Sunday a little bit earlier West Coast time? Because as you mentioned, obviously, you're going from the West Coast all the way back to New York. East Coast time. I would imagine the guys who are in the U.S. Open in the field are going to want to try and get to winged foot as quickly as possible, but they're they're also going to want to try and rest if they can a little bit. They also have to get a COVID test when they arrive uh, in New York. Do you know if they're trying to make any adjustments to scheduling or anything, or is it going to be pretty much everybody's on their own and you want to hustle back east if you're in the field? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's set up to – to end for like a 6 p.m. TV time. So okay. I, I think, you know, with a three-hour time difference, guys probably could make a red-eye flight uh, if yeah. they wanted to do that. Well, I they think should, that's probably... They should all pile in on Mickelson's jet and he can fly everybody over because you know he's <laughs> yeah. flying private, so that's not going to be a problem there. <laughs> all right, let's do a quick preview for U.S. Open. Um, is Wingfoot the hardest one of the U.S. Open venues in your eyes? I think it is. I do. Uh, and the scores seem to back that up. You know, five under was the winning score in 2006. Hale Irwin won at 74. Yeah, the massacre at Wingfoot was, for everybody, it's obviously been a long, long time since we've had an under par score, you know, at, at Wingfoot. As you mentioned, Jeff Ogilvie at plus five. Right behind him, Phil Mickelson, Colin Montgomery, and Jim Furyk back in 2006 at plus six. Um in my mind, it is. I think it is the toughest venue that there is. I think Oakmont gives it a run for its money. But we've had a number of different U.S. Open venues over the last couple of years that have yielded lower scores. I mean, obviously, last year, Pebble Beach, guys were able to shoot a number. Uh, we saw it at Aaron Hills. We saw it at Chambers Bay, like where, where it's, it, was, it would seem a little bit easier. But now this is about as blue blood as it get, it's going to get. If you're somebody who likes traditional U.S. Open golf, you want to see guys suffer. You want to see guys really struggle to make pars where birdies are are coveted like the, fan, the, the like the crown jewels. Winged foot is the place. Um, it's absolutely the place. Purists are absolutely going to love it. Um, have you ever had a chance to play wing foot shoot? Yeah, yeah, I have. Great spot. Um, actually, when I I did a back to back days there and at Beth Page Black. <laughs> That was that was a just getting hit know, in the I, teeth left and right. <laughs> Jeez. 
I was asking for it. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. Which one did you enjoy more? Actually, I thought the black. I actually like the black better. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. To me, I, you know, and, and there's another great course right by Wingfoot that that's personally one of my favorites is Quaker, Quaker Ridge. Ridge. And yeah, I I I like Quaker Ridge. I think Quaker Ridge is the be- the course I'd rather play between the two. Not taking anything really away from uh, mm-hmm. Wingfoot, but just paying a big compliment to Quaker Ridge, which I think is is one of the best AW Tillinghast courses out there. Hosted a Walker Cup um, is, I think, yeah, eminently if, eminently more playable. I mean, it's a more enjoyable, fun round of golf when you play a Quaker Ridge. Wingfoot is Wingfoot is big and brass, and and it is you know there's there's nowhere to hide. It exposes every any weakness you've got is going to come out. Quaker Ridge is like one of the absolute nicest member clubs you could ever go to, and it's a fun, jovial round. I I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Um, Bryson DeChambeau, the the experiment that we saw that that got him a win um, in Detroit a few weeks ago that got him obviously a lot of buzz. What the hell's going to happen when Bryson DeChambeau plays the style of golf that he is now playing? In a U.S. Open, a traditional U.S. Open, what, what's going to happen? Can't wait to see. I'll tell you that. It, <laughs> it all depends if he can if he can hit fairways. If he can hit fairways, it's going to be a huge advantage. And even being in the rough, an extra forty yards, fifty yards is a huge advantage. I think so. It's just can, it's just how can he keep it under control? And and I, I really think you know that's that's huge is, is how he can play in the main if he if he can have success in the majors we talked about this having his best result and being right right there on Sunday at the PGA Championship I think was a big step forward for him mm-hmm. and uh, I, I would I can't wait to see how he performs because this is this is the absolute test for his big experiment is is not just the majors but at a venue like Wing Foot where five over can win can can bashing it the way he's been smoking drives 350 and leading the tour and driving distance last season can that be a, a difference maker in the majors i think you hit it right on the head it's it's if 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 bryson dechambeau is hitting nine fairways or more on average per round he's gonna top five there's, I mean, I, I have no idea. How I think he's going to win. <laughs> yeah, I, he's he's going to be there because he's going to be flipping in short irons and shorter clubs, and that will be an enormous advantage on those greens. I I think that for all the ball striking mystique around the place, and it's well warranted, the greens at Wingfoot are absolutely tremendous. There is so much slope, so much movement. And they are going to be rolling super fast. One of the things is a little insider tip I can tell you over here on the East Coast right now. We're sliding into that northeastern late summer, early fall mode, which means the weather, we're having cool evenings, you know, in the 50s, maybe around 60 degrees. And the days are now like in the mid 70s. So the grass is really thick and really lush. And coming off of a very dry, very hot summer, I can tell you that they put an ocean of water on Wingfoot over the course of the summer. It was lush two weeks ago when I was there. I'm sure it's getting nothing but thicker and the rough is going to be growing and they'll probably give it one cut on Sunday night or Monday morning and that will be it. Um, and the, the greens will be, every, everything as I'm saying is going to be very easy for the USGA and everybody there to control. 
the the weather forecast looks good. I mean, it's long term, but we'll sort of see if if he's in the fairway with those clubs, then then that's going to be an enormous advantage. Have we heard anything from Brooks Kapka? Have you heard anything about like how the hip is doing, the knee is doing? It's been pretty much so far as I can see radio silence from the Kepka camp. Have you heard anything? Yeah, he's kind of gone underground. Uh, you know, didn't make the FedEx Cup and and really had I wouldn't I don't think he's been chirping on social media or anything. So no, not much reporting there. And I I think it's uh I think it's good for him to get a little break and rest rest his knee. He he mm-hmm. really there's there's something more than he's letting on to there. And um, I don't know whether he's going to need surgery again. He, he kind of alluded to that at some point and, and how, where he can fit that in with, with the super season of 50 events and, and so many majors and Olympics and, you know, everything. But uh, yeah, I think it was disconcerting the way his season kind of ended up. I thought he gave, showed a lot of heart um, playing so well at the PGA and, 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 and uh, just just his his mental toughness. I was a little surprised that he didn't perform on that on that final Sunday. And and only uh, only one guy shot worse in the final round. That was really surprising. I just think going back to to DeChambeau, I mean, what if he is driver flip wedge and shoots shoots five under, and the next guy is five over? What <laughs> what is the USGA? How are they going to respond to seeing so, you know DeChambeau? Yeah make mincemeat of, of wing foot. So I I've asked a few people, a few of my sources at the USGA, what they make of, of Bryson, what this is all about. And I think that they are much, much less threatened than people would ordinarily, you know, sort of in, infer. And by, and by that, I mean, even within all the, the distance reports and all the stuff that they've been really releasing along with the RNA over the last two or three years, one of the things that they've sort of made pains to make obvious is that they're not going to be in the business, and there's no way they could do this. They're not going to be in the business of governing physical fitness and dexterity and, and power that players can generate in and of themselves. Distance, they've already said, is a problem. Okay. But what Bryson is doing is basically showing that over the course of, say, like the last year or two, um, there hasn't been this breakthrough technology from his club manufacturer. He, he plays Cobra drivers. Okay, so there hasn't been such a, an enormous breakthrough um, in their equipment or in the golf ball that he chooses to use. He plays a Bridgestone ball that, um, that could automatically be attributed because everybody who uses that driver or that ball all of a sudden is gaining 20 yards. He transformed his body and his fitness regimen and literally this year, I think he's up almost 20 yards over last year. Not that he was short. I'm pretty sure he ended the year, the official uh, statistical year, averaging 325 yards per drive. He was at like 302, 303, if I'm not mistaken, last season. So governing the physical fitness, I don't think is something the USGA is going to attempt to do. I'm sure that they would love if he hits it that far and straight. Hey, you know what? Good on you. Tip of the hat. Um, if he is able to bomb and gouge out of the rough and hit, say, 360-yard drives and then is flipping wedge into those greens, um, that would be frowned upon. That would not be something. But I'll be honest with you, I don't think, I don't think that you can play um, from the rough consistently and let alone make birdies, I think eventually those greens get you in and par becomes an unattainable score in so many places. But I think that they are looking at the DeChambeau experiment as uh, 
the biggest all-in poker move a player can make in terms of his body and his fitness, not necessarily about the course and about the clubs and things that the USGA and the, and the RNA can govern themselves. So we'll see. It's, it's going to be extremely interesting to see what we're going to get there. What are we going to get from the new dad, Rory McIlroy, who showed us a really sweet round on Thursday, but then just could never put it together at East Lake? Is this, he's got a week, obviously. Um, he has never stepped foot on the property at Wingfoot. Rory's never been to the foot. So is that good or is that bad? Yeah, I don't, I don't get why these guys, they, they all talk about how they don't really need to get to a place ahead of time, but I still, if I was these guys and these majors mean so much to them, these are the the weeks that matter and, and stuff. They all talk about this is their how they're going to be remembered and stuff. Why don't they follow the Jack Nicholas model more and yeah. go early? I, you know, even even at Augusta, like when they played it more and more, I don't. I still think like I think back to a couple of years ago when when Patrick Reed won. He spent so much time. He skipped the week before. That guy. Plays and plays and plays, but he skipped the week before, and he and his coach spent hours and hours on the greens working on it, and it paid off. I, I don't, I don't get why someone like Rory would not. You know, I thought Phil Mickelson used to be very yeah. intelligent and going early, playing with the the club pro, and, and he would go with the local. He, he would go with Dave yeah. Pels, and they would go on recon missions, and and they would have by the time he showed up for the tournament, their work and their homework was done. Like he had his his books all written out. Pels was like, okay, we're going to go here. This is where we want to be. If you're going to miss, we're going to miss it over here. These are the four or five places where they're obviously going to put the holes, and this is how we're going to play it. I would think it puts players, number one, the familiarity has got to help, but then it also relaxes you because you've done your homework. I 100% agree with you, Shoop. I think they are missing out on a big opportunity to just to just get much more familiar, which is critical in a major. But if I'm Rory, I, that's a unique situation. I'd want to be home, spend spending time with my new baby daughter, and and enjoying all what being a, a new parent is about. And and uh, I mean, I think you go in maybe a little little freer in your mind that you know this is it's this is just golf because I think a lot. I think I think Rory has really struggled with the pressure of trying to complete the career Grand Slam at the at the Masters. I think he really. The pressure got to him of being, of playing a open championship in his native land at a in a course last year, uh, Royal Port Rush that he grew up and and everybody expected him to do well on because yep. he had shot such you know the record score is a 16 year old there and and I, I think he all that pressure got to him so maybe the fact that people aren't thinking about him as much because he's been struggling they're they're talking more about. Dustin Johnson and the and John Rahm and Bryson and um, that that maybe he's a little bit under the radar if that's possible for a player of Rory McIlroy's yeah. stature yep. because it, it's it's starting to get a little you know it's hard to believe how long it's been since he's won a major championship yeah, right it's, now it's it's been it's been too long and he's too good and he'll erupt um, which guy is going to be more likely to miss the cut Tiger or Phil I think Phil. Um, I think Phil, I, I, you know, it's, he's, he's, I don't think he drives the ball any better than he did back in, uh, <laughs> back in 2006 06. when he, when he hit the, hit it way left and, and, uh, you know, made his double bogey on the last hole, you know, hit the champions pavilion. Yeah. So 
you know, he's a master of getting up and down and, and, and he's got that going for him. But I think, you know, it'll, he's going to have to drive the ball consistently if he's going to be a factor. It would be, it would be one of the great stories of all time. Oh my though. gosh. If, if you can do uh, it, you know, that's one of those ones where you go, you th- sit there and think that's almost too big to write. So good luck with that one. Do if it happens. Yeah, no, um, I'll, I'll, I'll be, <laughs> be very curious. I was there in 06 and I remember him getting up and down on pe- people remember obviously 18 as well as they should, but like getting up and down from the garbage can on 16, um, from getting up, I, I believe he made par Sunday from short, right on 10. I mean, these are just places that like make Alcatraz, look like your mother's kitchen. I mean, like it's, yeah. there's just no business of getting out that, uh, of, of Je- those situations. Jeff, o- Jeff Ogilvy said that anyone else would have shot 80, that 80 plus. It's a testament to day. how great his short game is. It's not a knock against Mickelson. It's just like to fully appreciate how good a wedge player he is and how much creativity is, is to see that like he actually had an opportunity to win a U.S. open hitting it that lousy off the tee. Um, real quick guys. We like, Guys, we hate. Um, give me one or two guys that you that you really like going into Wingfoot. I think uh, I, I still, you know, I think Colin Morikawa. If he hadn't already won PGA, I think I think this is a a, a golf course that sets up pretty well for him. So I, I think he could be a factor again. I really do. Okay. Um, and, and I, you know, I mentioned Patrick Reed before. I, I think his short game is someone's that kind of rivals it's different, but it rivals Phil's. And I think if he can drive it, okay, he's scrappy enough. You're going to have to, you know, guys are going to miss fairways. It's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to get in the, the junk and he's a guy who can scrap it around and, and still make pars from some really ugly spots. And, uh, He's played a couple decent rounds of late. I I don't feel good about. I, I'm interested in watching him a little bit this week. Jordan Spieth, you mentioned earlier, is playing yeah. here, yep. but uh, I just don't think. I just don't see him uh, being a big factor. No, I agree with that one, and and I think that that's an excellent call with Patrick Reed. He will not shy down from the moment. If he is in one of the last groups on Saturday or Sunday, he will be the first person to tell you he deserves to be there and he expects to be there. Having already won a Masters, he. He there, there's no crowds there, so it's not like he has to play good guy or bad guy. But he thrives, I think, on hard golf courses where he can let his, as you point out, very underappreciated short game, and he has made some clutch putts during his career. So I I, I love that pick. I hadn't thought of that one, but I really like it. Um, I like Xander Shoffley because if you look at the stats, as you know, I'm wont to do. The guy has no weaknesses whatsoever. Coming out of Eastlake, a very difficult golf course. Uh, he drives it sneaky long. Excellent iron player. Can make some putts. Made a whole bunch of putts at East Lake. The short game is solid. There's really not a weakness in his game. And for the same reason, that's why I like Justin Thomas. Um, I think if Justin Thomas drives the ball well, he has not Bryson DeChambeau power, but he's got plenty I think that the fact that he's already won a major championship, he has been on Ryder Cup teams, President Cup teams. Justin Thomas sort of seems to me to fit Wingfoot. Like he's that kind of guy. He's an elite player. I don't like Colin Morikawa. I had written down the guys that I don't like, and I'm going to ask you for maybe one or two that you you're not really feeling it about. But you know, it's 
Morikawa to me, here's the thing that scares me, Shoop, is yes, he was fantastic at Harding Park. I'm afraid of his putter. I'm afraid of the fact that that he hasn't seen greens in a U.S. Open like he's going to see at Wingfoot and is wonderful an iron player as he is. And he is as elite as they get right now, which is hard to imagine. I think he's got plenty of length off the tee. I think the iron game gets there, but I could totally imagine on Monday or Tuesday he goes out for a practice round. The first the first hole at Wingfoot is a dog leg to the left. It's a little par four. The guys will probably hit three wood wedge or you know, something like something along those lines. And he's gonna get about a fifteen or twenty foot putt and be like, Oh, this is great. And then he's gonna blow it twenty feet past and be like, Oh shit. <laughs> this is not gonna be good. Um Yeah, I I, I do not until he proves me wrong with the putter, and maybe he did um, a little bit with his his actions at TPC Harding Park and winning the PGA Championship, I want to see him putt on greens like this before I say, yeah, he could win a U.S. Open at Wingfoot or at Oakmont or potentially later on at, at Pinehurst. I think that the fact that the greens were a little bit slower at TPC Harding Park was helpful. He drove the ball beautifully. Um, I'm also concerned about John Rahm. Uh, I think that John Rahm's maturity, as you and I have talked about, has has been tremendous, and he's playing at a much higher level. The U.S. Open, a wingfoot U.S. Open, will make the toughest dudes crack. It will it will bring out and be just as unrelenting a test as there's going to be. If you fully believe that John Rahm has been able to master his mental challenges and is now that much stronger, and that it is bolted in solid then you, there's lots of reasons to love John Rahm because he puts it great for a guy who hits it as well as he does. But I'm not 100% convinced. I'm not. I'm just not ready to make that call just yet. Yeah, Rahm, I, I, I think we're kind of on the same page here, but I got to say, uh, got to give it up to the guy. He has won on the two toughest venues this season at, yep. at the Memorial and then at the BMW Championship. Um, so he, is, he has taken a step a real big step into proving that he's capable of it. But yes, he, he still needs to do it on that. The, the U S open stage is, is, an, is a whole nother can of worms. And, uh, I, one other guy that jumps to mind, um, he's not really a sleeper cause he's ranked 13th in the world these days, but Daniel Berger is on a, a serious mm. heater. Um, and I just like the yes. way he's just scrappy and he's, he's been around a little bit in a couple majors now enough to, to know what it feels like on a Sunday. And, um, yeah, I, I just think that he's, he, he could be maybe be a factor as well. Yeah, no, I think that that's an excellent call. Again, a, a guy who is a really good fairways and greens guy who's been putting it very well, makes the tour championship. Um, and someone who since the restart, obviously who's been hot. You know, he's, he's it also, been... go ahead. It would be very, very funny if he were to win there and still not be in the masters, I, I think, I think they would then have to make an exception and give, give him a special invite. I mean, that's the thing but is he's that, not, he's not in the masters in, in November. He's in the one in April, but not in November yet. I, I'm still shocked by that whole storyline that they haven't extended an invitation and said, look, you know what? We set up this criteria. There's almost no way that we could have anticipated this was going to happen. It did. It's our tournament and we're, we're, we're going to invite you. Hell with it. We're just going to add you to the field. You're welcome to come. Congratulations. What's what's anyone gonna say? Nothing. Yeah, I, I get the point that they made the rule and they weren't anticipating this, but like if he wins the U.S. Open, I agree. How did they not extend an invitation um, to to Daniel Berger then to to play at the Masters? Shoop, you have fulfilled your obligations. Um, 
I highly recommend heading over to Duckhorn. Uh, it's a personal oh, favorite yeah. of mine. I really like Duckhorn. Um, you head right down the road from there, and you kind of can't miss, really. But uh, yeah, slide on over to uh, to Duckhorn if you have the opportunity. Gurgich Hills, another personal favorite of mine. The Chardonnay there is lovely. But again, you're in a really nice neighborhood. Enjoy. Travel safe. And I'll look forward to talking to you real soon, pal. Thanks a lot. All right. Always a pleasure. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.